Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our In the World, Not of It series, which walks through the book of 1 Corinthians, showing how we are citizens of a better country. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. 1 Corinthians in chapter number 5, and... Um, I know, you, I know you've been there, but have you ever been around people or you yourself, you ever just hate when people miss the obvious? If you have kids, you, you absolutely know what I'm talking about. Uh, this last week, Hannah and I were, I think we were in the living room or we were maybe at the kitchen table getting ready to, to eat lunch. And uh, Hannah said to one of the kids, hey, grab, grab this out of the fridge, grab it out of the refrigerator. And two kids, I won't name them, but um, it's our two middle children, our two youngest. So uh, one rhymes with uh, Mina, and the other one rhymes with Nika. And um, anyway, Lena and Micah, they were in the kitchen, and they, uh, they went to the fridge, and they opened the fridge up, and we heard one of them say, I don't see it. And the other one went, me either. And then we hear, Mom, it's not there. And she said, what do you mean it's not there? I literally just put it in the fridge. Well, mom, it's, it's not there. Well, look again. Well, I am looking, but Lena told me it wasn't there. Well, Micah told me it wasn't there. Well, how about both of you look? So they're standing. I turn the corner. They're both standing literally with the fridge door open. And I think they were looking for a jar of mayonnaise. And I'm not exaggerating to say it was literally right there. And like, like looking right through it, missing the obvious. You ever been there? My mom, I've used the illustration often. I told her I was going to say it again. She's not here, so I can pick on her, pick on her all I want because uh, she's online this morning. So she, you know, there's no retaliation or anything. <laughs> but my mom growing up, she was notorious for just missing the obvious. But specifically when it came to her glasses, and some of you ladies have been there, my mom would... I'm not exaggerating to say this, and we picked on her a lot about it. She would come in with her glasses on her head, and she would be like, I, I just cannot find my glasses. I can't find them anywhere. It got so bad that there are times she'll come in wearing her glasses, and she'll go, has anybody seen my glasses? And we're, we're like, she's, she's kidding, you know? And we're like, no, no, we haven't. She's like, I'm serious. I can't find them. I just can't find them. I, I don't know where they are. And my dad and I both kind of look at her and just... Are you, are you kidding right now? No, I'm not kidding. Have you seen my glasses? And my, my dad would go, Judy, they're on your face. And she'd go, oh, oh. And you know, my mom, and she'd just do that. And I, I thought, you know, I'll make fun of my mom for this for years until just recently. Because just recently, I was talking to my mom on my phone. And I said to her, I can't find my phone. <laughs> and I think it runs in the family because the day before, my aunt had called, was talking to my mom and said, Judy, I just cannot find my phone anywhere. I have no idea. I laid it down somewhere. I think I've been missing it for a couple of days. And my mom said, sis, uh, you're missing your phone. Yeah, I just don't know where it is. Well, then what are you talking to me on? Well, I'm talking to you on my phone. I just don't know where my... Oh, I got to go. 
You've probably been there where really there's something going on. You're looking for something. Every, every wife knows that her husband can never really find what he's looking for because it's staring him in the face. Every parent knows that that kid is going to open the fridge and say, I can't find it because it's not there. Uh, we all have times, we all have times when we miss the obvious. As you come to 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, We're coming this morning to a portion in our study. If you've been with us, we've been studying out this this book of 1 Corinthians, and, and we've been understanding Paul trying to write to these believers in Corinth, and of course... Uh, you'll recall what Corinth was. We'll talk about it in just a minute. But, but Paul writes to them because um, in a lot of areas, they were missing the obvious. And this morning, when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, uh, they were truly missing an obvious thing that was staring them right in the face. And, and Paul writes to them saying, hey, you're missing the obvious and you need to deal with it. If you've been with us in our study, then you'll recall everything that we've kind of brought around about the city of Corinth. And of course, uh, Corinth and Athens, these two cities were two of the greatest cities at this time, uh, um, maybe second to only, only to, to Rome itself. But, but really, Corinth, at the time that Paul was writing, it was a, a very populated place. Probably five hundred to 700,000 would have lived in Corinth at that time. Some look on the low end of maybe 400,000, but roughly 500,000 people living in Corinth. It was a, a riches to, or excuse me, a ruin to riches type of place where in one generation a slave could uh, be freed and go to Corinth and, and be nothing. And then by the end of his lifespan, have money and riches and wealth and people. And, and so it was a, a well-populated city. It was a popular city. It was a place that, that was uh, known for commerce and people traveling through because of, of where it was located on that isthmus separating the east from the west. And, and it was really a place that many people would travel to, but we've also discovered that Corinth was a very vile place. Corinth was a a very immoral place. And we've we've talked about this a little bit as we've gone through, but um, one of the uh, almost a dozen temples that were there in Corinth would be uh, the temple to Aphrodite or the, the goddess of, of love. We would probably say the goddess of, of lust. And it's set, um, it set upon the Acropolis, which would be that mountain in the background. It, it's set um, just upon the edges of that mountain. And, and this uh, temple to Aphrodite was a place that they had uh, over a thousand temple prostitutes. And I'm not going to um, be explicit or anything this morning, but just there is so much sex trafficking that took place and all of these things that it began to become where it not only affected the temple and was part of their worship, but it began to saturate down into the city. And so uh, at that time, people in the known world knew that Corinth was a, a very immoral place. And, and we have that derogatory term we've talked about, that if you really wanted to insult somebody in that day and age, you would say, oh, well, you're, you're a Corinthian. Oh, you're just like a Corinthian. Oh, well, you're, you're just a Corinthian. And it was just a derogatory negative statement. Well, what had happened If you've been with us, you'll recall some of these things, but just make sure we're all on the same page going into today's passage. What had happened is the believers at Corinth, when Paul was there, right? Paul started that church, Acts chapter number 18. He spent uh, 18 months there investing into people and seeing people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and seeing God really begin to change lives. And then Paul would leave for a time. 
And after he had been gone for about two to three years, he begins hearing word that the, the believers of the church at Corinth, they were acting more like the culture around them. They were living more like the culture around them than they were the, the Christ within them. And they were going through where uh, while, they, while they knew Jesus and they were thankful to be saved and, and knowing they were on their way to heaven, they were not allowing their relationship with Christ to affect their everyday life. And let me just say this morning, and, and I've, I've said it often and will continue to repeat it, that Jesus can be your Savior, but not your Lord. But what does that mean? Savior, I know for sure that he's in my life and I've put my faith and my trust in him. Lord, I know he's the one I'm following today. The believers at Corinth, he was their Savior, but Jesus wasn't their Lord. They weren't allowing their relationship with, with God to affect their everyday life. Instead, they were letting the culture just inundate the church. The first four chapters, Paul writes to them about their pride. The believers at Corinth were a very proud people. They were arguing over status and association and who was the better Christian and who, who had the better uh, association, whether it was Paul or Peter or Cephas or Jesus. I mean, they, they were just arguing over silly things. And Paul writes to them in those first four chapters to address their, their issue of pride. As we come to 1 Corinthians chapter number five, I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you right up front this morning, uh, as I hope a pastor would, um, <clears throat> But I'm going to just tell you that 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is a challenging chapter. It's a challenging chapter. Well, why? Um, because Paul begins to deal not only with their pride in the first four chapters, but now he begins to deal with their perversion. That the people at Corinth were a very perverted people. And it was so bad that we're going to see this morning that it was it was an obvious thing. They knew what was going on. It was commonly reported. And yet the people just said, eh, it's okay. And I want to I be just very real with you this morning. That as I come to the book of Corinthians, I see a lot of um, similarities in the Corinthian culture as I do in our American culture. I, um, <clears throat> I want you to know, I recognize the diversity of, uh, of ages within our, within our congregation this morning. But we are going to deal with something this morning that, that can make people uncomfortable. I, again, I'm not going to uh, be in-depth on anything but this morning, I want to I look at the area of fornication, the sin of any sexual activity outside of marriage. And this morning, we're, we're going to see, I mean, that, that is what Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. And, and so that's going to be kind of the, the main backing, the main thought this morning but really, I believe the principles in 1 Corinthians 5 can apply to any sin. Because the fact of the matter is, if we have a wrong, listen, if we have a wrong view of sin, we are having a wrong view of the Savior. Okay, I'm gonna say it again. If we have a wrong view of sin in our life, 
we are going to have a wrong view of the Savior within our life. And so this morning, I just, uh, by way of introduction, I want to read to you some thoughts that I pinned down that, that I think will help us. Because Paul, he's going to come and begin to deal with this widespread perversion and sin, and, and more specifically with this sin of, of fornication and sexual sins. And, and again, I just want us to know that as we go through this, we're going to read the passage today and then give you some thoughts. But as we go through this, I believe you'll see some great application. You'll see some great similarities. But I also believe that we can see an overall application just in sin in general. And this morning... I just want to ask you to ask God to help you not to miss the obvious. What do you mean, Pastor? Every single one of us still live in this thing called the flesh. And every single person here battles sin. I'm looking forward to heaven when there's no more sin, aren't you? Now, I'm just looking forward to that. But until that day, we're going to have to deal with it. But here's the great truth. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Jude said it this way. He said that, that God is able to keep you from falling, from stepping into that sin. And man, there's some great help for us this morning. And so let's, uh, let's read our passage and we'll pray and we'll get into it. Let's stand together. First Corinthians chapter five. I wanna, I wanna just read the whole chapter. It's only 13 verses and then make our way through the message and I think we'll be helped. First Corinthians chapter five, verse one. It is reported commonly, remember Paul writing to these, these readers, they're, they're reading this before the congregation. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife, and ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, I have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this, so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together and my, my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus, your glorying, it's not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, he is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of, of sincerity and truth. Verse number nine, I, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, uh, for then you must go out, of, then you must needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without God judgeth. Therefore, 
Put away from among yourselves that wicked person. This morning, as we come to 1 Corinthians 5, the believers at Corinth, they were missing the obvious, and Paul is calling them out on this. And today, I want us to be challenged not only with the subject at hand, but I want us to be challenged not to miss the obvious in our life. And so as we come to our time this morning in the Word of God, I hope that you would just take a minute and ask the Lord to speak to you and ask God, God, help me not to miss the obvious this morning And I think, I believe that God could use this message to really help us, to encourage us, and to strengthen our walk with him. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you take just a minute, and would you ask God to speak to you? And you can pray something simple of, God, please speak to my heart today. God, help me not to miss the obvious. And then make a commitment, God, if you speak to me, I'm going to respond to you. Dear Lord, I just want to come before you this morning and I thank you for your word. Thank you for how you use it to apply to our lives. And God, I know that this morning we're coming to something that that sometimes as Christians we kind of just pass over. And Lord, I pray that this morning that you would help us. I pray that you'd help us to understand your thoughts, your mind. I pray that you'd help us to be able to uh, make application that your Holy Spirit would work within us, that you would help us not to miss the obvious today of, of any sin that would hinder our fellowship with you. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak in a very special way. I pray that if there's someone that's here this morning that doesn't know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, I pray that today would be the day they put their faith and their trust in you alone. We love you, God. We thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. I said a moment ago that I'd like us to be able to apply this to just sin in general, Uh, but this morning it would be um, it would be wrong of me if I didn't kind of just address the elephant in the room, so to speak. So as we start this morning, I want to I want to read to you just kind of some introductory thoughts that I penned that I think will just set the stage for us to help, and so. If you'll, if you'll forgive me for kind of reading my notes, I want to just stay on point this morning with, with our introduction here. As we start today, I want us to understand that Paul is speaking specifically to the sin of fornication. Well, what is fornication? Fornication is any sexual activity or sexual relationships outside of marriage. And sad to say, this is, an off, this is a, a topic that many Christians often avoid. And this morning, I don't want us to avoid it because we need to understand that fornication is still written about within the Word of God, and it's still sin. Unfortunately, it's found its way into many Christian homes and churches, just as it did in Corinth. Lust and promiscuity is overlooked and downplayed. It's excused, and it's looked upon as, quote, not that big of a deal, or, well, it's just a natural thing. But to God, sin is sin. And while many in here would agree that these types of sins are still sin, sin like homosexuality and lesbianism and bestiality and adultery and the such like, we would all agree, oh, well, that's just sin. We would also agree, we need to also agree that 
Simple lust is sin. Pornography is sin. Fornication is sin. Flirtatious relationships outside of one's marriage is sin. Putting things in front of our eyes that lead our mind in a direction that it doesn't need to go, these things, they are sin before God and they, they hinder our fellowship with God. And Christians need to be aware of this. We need to, uh, I hate to say, well, I, I don't hate to say it. I want to say it. We need to educate people on this because if we're not careful, culture is going to educate. And, and as much as I uh, avoid um, making uh, political statements and different things like that, uh, this morning I'm not avoiding any of that. Because right now what we see is a push from Satan um, in, in education, we see from a push from Satan in, in culture, in uh, movies, in television shows, uh, from influencers that are out there, social media, whether it be um, Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat or, or Twitter, whatever it is. Listen, the devil, hey, the devil is trying to help Christians say, well, it's not that big of a deal. And your teenagers and your kids and, and teens, you need to listen this morning that you're being, you're being preyed upon by the devil, trying to condition you and trying to condition uh, adult men and adult women to say, well, it's not that big of a deal. But I want you to understand this morning, it's a big deal. Why? Because it's not God's best. Can I just help us understand this morning that God has perfection. He has, he has a best plan waiting for you. For you teenagers in here, God's best is that you would save your mind and save your body until you're married. That, that's God's best for you. And you say, well, how do I know that that's God's best? I mean, my friends say, my, my, uh, my school says, that curriculum says, well, this influencer, that Hollywood star says, listen, who do you want to trust with your best? Somebody that doesn't know you or a God who died for you? But I would say the same thing to every adult in here. When adults in here allow their mind to go down roads and, and we watch things or allow things to come across a computer monitor or a, or a cell phone or a TV screen or we allow ourselves to be engaged in, in uh, just uh, um, flirtatious or uh, um, uh, close relationships with people that are not our spouse, hey, you are missing God's best for you. You're missing a, a healthy relationship and a, and a healthy fellowship. And so I want to just kind of just help us understand this morning. I'm going to be talking about some of this today. You say, well, pastor, we're in church. We're not supposed to. But you'll turn the TV on and let the news educate the family on it? No, church is a great place to address it. Why? Because we have the Bible. We have scripture. And it doesn't take, it does not take a person long to realize we live in a culture that has taken the physical relationship between a man and a woman has commercialized it and has turned it into something that is not sacred, holy, and beautiful. But that's what God says about it. I, I, don't, I don't want what culture says about it. I want what God says about it. And so this morning, I want us to understand, as I talk about sin, I mean, that's, 
That's the underlying, that's the theme of this chapter. Really, uh, Brian and Micah and I were talking a couple weeks ago. The theme of 1 Corinthians chapter number five is Paul writing to the church at Corinth and saying, you people are messed up and you need to get straightened out because you're acting like a bunch of freaks. That's like the general statement of 1 Corinthians chapter number five. Uh, Listen, they were messed up. Well, what was the sin? There was a man within the church. I personally believe that he was a man of status within the church, a man of leadership, but there was a man within the church and it was commonly reported that he was sleeping with his stepmom. Pastor, that's in the Bible? Yep, that's in the Bible because it was happening. And it was commonly reported. You know what that means? I'll say it again in just a second. Everybody knew. Everybody knew that it was going on. And you know what they were like? Meh. It's not, it's all right. Not a big deal. And unfortunately, isn't that our attitude nowadays? Isn't that many people's attitude nowadays? Well, it's it's not that big of a deal. I've used the illustration before, and I'll briefly give it, and we'll go through our notes today. I've been a chaplain for 16 years. My first four years, four and a half years, I was a chaplain with Lakewood Police Department. And I remember, uh, I always, still to this day, when I do a ride-along, I go out late at night because I know my family's asleep, and usually that's when any action is happening. And so... I know that that's when I can be the most valuable. I can build some good relationships. And I'm, I'm a chaplain to reach police officers for Jesus Christ. I don't, I don't shy away from that. I'm, I believe that first responders and military are two of the most neglected people groups in the U.S. And, uh, and there's, you know, divorce is high, alcoholism is high, and suicide is high. I've had friends that have had all three take place. And I had a very good friend from Lakewood that killed himself just um, three or four years ago. And so I, I've been, been in that. But I remember... I was out to, uh, to breakfast at 3 o'clock in the morning. And my friend, the one who actually killed himself, he was, he was there. He was one of the officers that I was riding with that day. And I was at a group of officers that morning. And we were, uh, of course, they had been working since 6 p.m. I had been riding since probably 8 p.m. And we were just there. And they, I was going to eat breakfast and then go home after that. And um, we were there at this restaurant. And the waitress came up. And the waitress was, she's a pretty gal. And uh, honestly, I, I didn't really think about it, didn't really notice. <clears throat> but one of the officers said, hey, chap. I said, yeah, what's up? He said, you think she's, uh, you think she's hot? And I said, um, I got no opinion, man. He's like, well, well why? I said, well, honestly, because I want to I wanna only think about my wife. I said, I want my wife to be the one who I think is beautiful. And he said, chap, listen, listen, I'm married too. This is my friend. He said, I'm married too. And and I know, I know the whole Christian thing. I mean, I I know that. He said, and I, I forget his exact words, but he said, hey, chap, there's nothing wrong with looking. He said, there's nothing wrong with looking. And I said, well, that's where I disagree with you. I said, because the Bible, I said, well, yeah, yeah, I know that. I'm, I'm a Christian too, he said. But, but there's nothing wrong with looking. Now, in here, some of you might go, well, yeah, I mean, he's right. There's nothing wrong with looking. 
But the Bible says there is. God said it's not, it's not the best. And again, I want God's best. Our culture says it's not that big of a deal. Christianity, listen, modern day Christianity says it's not that big of a deal. But God says sin is sin. Church at Corinth was missing the obvious. It was staring them in the face. And I want us this morning just three thoughts today about sin in a person's life. Sin in general, and then specifically this sin of any activity outside of marriage. I want you to see with me this morning the effect of sin. Notice with me how this sin, this, this one sin was affecting so many people's lives. Look with me at verse number six when Paul writes this. He says, know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. We might say uh, one rotten apple spoils the barrel. This phrase, leaven, it's talking about influence and, and permeation. In those days, just to give you an update, a thought about, about leaven. In those days, they made, uh, made dough, of course, to make bread, just like today. And they would pull out a little bit of, of that dough that would become the leaven or the starter for the next loaf. Knowing what leaven is, let me just explain it. In those days, when a lady would bake dough, she would get the dough all ready. She would put it all together. She would put it in whatever container that she had that it would be baked in. And then she would always take a chunk out of it, uh, a whole pile of it, and then put that one piece into some water. And that piece would become the leaven. The reason is because over a period of time, that piece would, would sour in the water and then it would be taken out and, and she would use it to start a new loaf. And some of you still do the, the sourdough starters and the leaven. And that sourdough would be used to permeate that new bread to help it get started. That was the leaven. So the idea of leaven is the idea of permeation, but it also has the idea of fermentation. And in, in, the, in Scripture, whenever uh, fermentation is, is uh, um, referenced, it's talking about sin. Understanding that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, they would understand and know Paul is making this connection. Hey, a little bit of sin, it affects the entire thing. A little bit of leaven, it affects the entire loaf. A little bit of, of, uh, of that uh, uh, sin in your life, it affects a lot. Well, what is the effect that it has? Well, notice with me the effect on the individual. Sin affects an individual. If you were here last Sunday night, we looked at the effect of sin in the life of David, and we talked about some of these thoughts, but real quick, we need to know this, that when, when a person steps into sin, if, if they leave that sin unchecked and unconfessed, we open ourselves up to just continuing down an uncomfortable path of, of sin on top of sin. We find ourselves hiding sin, which often leads to more sin. We think we can control it, but we find ourselves servants to our flesh. Paul wrote this in the book of Romans. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. The effect of sin on an individual's life says, uh, the, the effect is I become a servant to it. I become, I think I've got it. I think I can control it, but I become a servant to it. And it just leads to more sin. In this individual's life, we, are, we won't see it now, but uh, in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, and, and Paul writes about the, the subject, I believe, of the, of the effect that this sin had in this person's life. 
sin affects the individual. The Bible tells us that while there's always forgiveness of sin from God that's always offered, sin has natural consequences. It has a, a natural there, there's a natural price to be paid for sin. And you and I never know what it will cost, but James wrote it this way, that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, it brings forth death. Now, now we know death and, and talking about sin and death, that uh, the punishment for sin is separation from God and the wages of sin is, is death, but the gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But the principle taught in this verse is that when sin is done, it brings about something that you don't want. Oh, maybe, <clears throat> maybe we're not catching it this morning. I, I hope you are. Shake your head if you are. Uh, you ever done something and you thought, wow, that was really stupid? Yeah, everybody been there? You ever said something insulting or mean to your parent or your spouse or your friends at school or your teacher or whatever, and right after it came out of your mouth, you thought, ah, and then you had to go retract your steps, and you, I mean, you had, to, you had all this rigmarole of apologies and all these things to do, and at the end of the day, you thought, I wish I just never would have said that. Well, what is that? That's the natural consequences of, of sin. We need to know that, the, that sin, it, it affects the individual. It affects you. It affects your fellowship with God. You, as a child of God, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have a relationship with God. Your relationship is never going away. You will always be God's child. But your fellowship, when you and I allow sin into our life, our fellowship is broken. We're still saved. We're still his child, but our fellowship is broken. Sin affects an individual. The effect of sin on an individual, notice with me, secondly, the effect of sin on the church. On the church. Look with me in the passage. <clears throat> Verse number one, Paul said this. He said, it's reported commonly that there's fornication among you. The word commonly, it means generally. It means it's the general and continual report that fornication exists among you. The phrase among you means within the congregation. How would you like that to be the report about the church? The thing that's so well known about this church is, well, there's fornication going on in it. The common word that comes around when you talk about the church at Corinth was fornication. And the sin, it's, a, it's affecting the entire church. And Paul writes to them, but you've passed over it. It's not that big of a deal to you, but it is affecting the entire body. Scripture compares um, the church to a body. I've watched my dad over the course of the last eight weeks, and many of you have, have seen it, that it seems as though my dad's kind of just fallen off of a cliff. Uh, mentally talking to him, he just doesn't, not really, he's, he's there, and I know he's comprehending, but he can't process what he wants to say, but if you've also noticed, because of the strokes, he's losing his right side a little bit. I sat at the hospital with him the other day, and, and Dad said, I, I just looked at him, and of course, trying to, you know, you know your parents, so I'm looking at him and knowing a little bit what's going through his mind. I said, Dad, I said, what, what are you wanting to say? <clears throat> I could tell he's just trying to get something out. And he very slowly got out, my right arm doesn't work. Now, again, he got it out very broken. My 
my right, my right arm. He did that. And I said, yes, it does. I said, Let, let's, let's work on this, Dad. And I began to work, talk to him about getting that right hand to go. Man, you, you've been there. You ever had a, a body, a limb fall asleep? You ever tried to stand up when your legs are asleep? I've had plenty of times been sitting or driving for a while and I get out and my legs are asleep and I'm like, whoa, man, they're just, I've had bad knees and every now and then before my surgery, my, my left knee would just give way. I don't know if any of you remember early days, I'd be preaching. I'd be standing here and be like, my knee just give out. Man, when something doesn't work like it's supposed to in your body, it affects the entire body. The same is compared to a church. That when sin is, is in an individual's life and remaining unconfessed and unchecked, when it's not a big deal, it affects the whole church. Sin affects the entire church, but also it has an effect on the lost. The lost would be people who don't know Christ. When it says it's reported commonly, you know what Paul is saying? Hey, not only do you know about it, but everybody else does. That phrase it's reported commonly means it's a well-known thing within the region, within the area. People know about it. Not only do believers and Christians know about it, but it is also those who don't believe that know about it. And what's crazy, verse number one, is it's such an immoral thing. Look with me at verse one, what he says. It's reported commonly that there's fornication among you. Notice this. And such fornication as is not so much named among the Gentiles. Do you, do you catch what he's saying? Hey, this sin is affecting you so bad that even, even people who don't know Christ are mocking you because they don't even do this. During the law at that time, one, uh, one guy said it this way, we know from the law of the Romans, from Catalyst, from Cicero, from um, other, theolo- or other people from that day, that incest was forbidden in the Roman Empire, and this would be considered incest. Physical relationship with his stepmom. But here was this church doing something that even the pagans didn't do, even the lost people didn't do, and Paul writes to him, hey, It has an effect. Everybody on the outside knows it's going on. Again, it's reported it is an openly unknown thing. I see this morning the effect of sin. It affected individuals. It affected the church. It affected the lost. But I want you to notice secondly with me this morning their attitude towards sin. Their attitude towards sin. What was the... Believers at Corinth, what was their attitude going on? Notice verse number two. <clears throat> Paul said this, and, and you're puffed up. You're puffed up and, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away uh, from among you. Verse number six, he says, you're glorying it. It is not good. Do you know what these believers, what their attitude was towards sin? They weren't even alarmed by it. It wasn't a big deal to them. It was, it was not, not that it wasn't known. No, it was known. It was commonly reported. They knew about it, but they just didn't care about it. Their attitude was that of passivity, that, that of being, being passive or uh, just kind of shoving it under the, under the rug, so to speak. And if you've been here through our series, then you'll remember with me that this church, it's a very talented church. It's a well-gifted church. It would be a, a, a rich church. 
Paul later writes, later in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians, he writes to them about the possibilities of their church and saying, hey, you've got some great possibilities. There are some great things in store for you. But here they were, proud of themselves and unwilling to deal with sin. Paul writes in verse three through verse number five, he's like, I'm not even there and I've already made up my mind because I know that God looks down upon this and you need to take care of it. He says to them, you're proud. He says, you're still puffed up and you should have, you should have rather mourned instead of standing there uh, proud about your situation. You ought to be mourning on the ground, weeping about this. The word mourn is the same word that you would use for mourning the dead. I mean, Paul is saying, hey, this is not a small thing. This is a, a big deal. And here you are proud and, and boasting in your spiritual attainments and your associations, but you're missing the obvious that you've allowed sin to break your fellowship. Can I say this morning, it's a sad thing when a believer or when a church gets to the place where they tolerate sin. But unfortunately, that's all around us. Many churches, many Christians justify their sin. All we know about it, maybe in our life, we know about it, but we just think, well, it's not a big thing. We, we think, well, I can stop this at any time. I can control it. I can handle it. And we fail to deal with it. And soon it's greater than we can bear. Soon we found that we've, we've dug deeper than we intended to dig and we've gone further than we wanted to go and, and we've gone, uh, it's worse off than we ever thought it would be. And how many people do you know of who have said, I never thought I would end up here. I never thought I would end up here. I right now can think of people that I know that have said that time and time again. I never thought I would end up here. Well, you end up there because your attitude towards sin says, not that big of a deal. I see this morning the effects of sin, attitude towards sin, but I want you to notice lastly today, a proper approach to sin. You say, all right, pastor, I, I get it. First Corinthians 5, dealing with fornication, it's a big deal. Any sin in my life that is hindering my fellowship with God, it's a big deal. What do I do about it? Well, some great resources in the word of God. Number one, purge it out. That phrase, purge it out. Notice verse number seven. Verse number seven of 1 Corinthians chapter number five. Paul says this, purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. What Paul is saying, that purge out, it just means get it out of your life. Take it out. The old leaven represents the old life. Next week, uh, we'll see Paul write this to them. Such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Paul says, hey, listen, when you look into your old life, if there were things that you did before you were saved, now again, and I, I wish we had the time uh, to really go through this, but we don't. Many of the people that Paul is writing to, they have been affected by the uh, the a horrible lifestyle that would accompany the temple of Aphrodite. So, so many of those people, I mean, this is crazy. You can go and, and again, we'll see it next week, the list that he talks about. But he's like, hey, some of you, you were, you were involved in that temple prostitution. Hey, some of you, you were involved in that trafficking. Hey, some of you, you were involved with that heinous, that, that false stuff that was going on. That used to be your life. But once you trust Christ, that stuff is gone. 
In our passage, the, the phrase leaven can represent the old life. So notice verse number seven when he says, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Hey, you have a new life in Christ. Second Corinthians chapter five, it says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Hey, listen, behold, all things are made new. Man, God says my best for you is that you would learn to, to fellowship and to walk with me and to understand that sin, hey, sin doesn't have a hold on you anymore. You say, well, pastor, I really feel like it does. Hey, keep confessing it. Keep purging it out. We are not gonna be free of sin until we are with Christ, but until then, we have the help of the Lord Jesus Christ to enable us each and every day to say no. And when you say yes to sin, confess it. If any man confesses sin and, and, uh, and that God is faithful and just to forgive us, hey, forgiveness is already there. Confession says, I see sin the way you see it. God, I don't want it in my life. What do I do? What do you do when sin is in our life? Hey, purge it out. Hey, confess it. And I get it. That's easier said than done. But it's better done than said. Man, God says, my best is that you would, would just get it out. In 1 Corinthians chapter number five, Paul says something hard in verse number five. Notice what he says. He says, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Well, what is Paul talking about? I mean, you, what, so, so this man who's having this relationship Paul, you're telling us that we just need to put him out of the church? Yes. You say, well, pastor, that's, that's hard. Yeah. Well, pastor, that means that none of us should be here because we're all sinners. No, because what Paul has gotten at is this man is unrepentant. He's unrepentant. It's commonly reported he's continuing in it Everybody knows he's not repenting. He doesn't want to get right. You know what that says? He's saying, it's my way, not God's way. And Paul says, that type of an attitude doesn't need to be there. My son Micah was reading his Bible yesterday, and he said, hey, Dad, remind me again, what is a scorner? And I was studying this passage, and I thought, that's what this guy is. This guy was a scorner. What's a scorner? They're the ones that says, I am what I am. I'm here. You're not going to change me. It's my way. I don't care what you have to say. And the book of Proverbs says about a scorner, a man, whatever investment you make, it's not going to make a difference because their attitude is made up. So what's Paul saying to them? He's saying when people are unrepentant and it's affecting the entire church, you got to put them out. Well, does that mean that they're not saved? No, look at, <laughs> look at what verse number five says. Verse five says, give him over to the devil for the destruction of the flesh, but his spirit will remain saved. You know what it's saying? When there's somebody that's, that's a scorner, listen, every, I hate, I hate always just using parent illustrations, but parents, you get it. Uh, if you've ever taught in a school, you get it. If you've ever been in a classroom, you get it. When you're influencing a group of people, if you have one kid 
If you have one kid that's just, I mean, if you're teaching VBS this week, I guarantee you, every class will have at least one kid that's just like, I don't care what you're going to do, you know, and doing that. You know what? As a pastor, I'm like, I don't play the game. You know what you get to do? Sit there the entire day. That's not fun. Right. I'm not trying to be mean, but your sour attitude is not going to affect everybody. So Paul's saying, hey, it's leadership. Your, your sin that you're unrepentant over, we're not gonna let it affect everybody. No, it's, it's yours. It's your life. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna say, hey, you know what you need to do? You're gonna be without until you're repentant. Go to Matthew 18. God addresses this. Jesus wrote about it. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 17. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Hey, if someone has sin in their life, you know it. Go between you and them. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. And that means if they're repentant, you gained a brother. It's, it, it's solved. It's done. But if he doesn't hear you, take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So if he doesn't listen, then you take two people. Hey, this is an issue. We need to deal with this. If he's repentant, great. Move forward. Everybody grows. It's awesome. God, God fellowship's restored. But if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it under the church. Hey, we've got an issue. This fellow's involved. He's, he's, he's involved with his stepmom, and we've talked to him, and the three or four of us have talked to him. He's not getting it right. We need to tell all of you, you know, sir, are you going to get that right? No. Okay, if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. That publican is a tax collector. Just pretend like he works for the IRS. What does everybody want to do with the IRS? Avoid them. Don't talk to them. Don't answer their phone call. You say, pastor, that's harsh. No. No, God says it's a biblical way to, uh, to deal with sin. The comparison is made to you and I as an individual. If there's sin in your life, have nothing to do with it. Get it out. Purge it out. The problem is that all too often we like our sin too much. We think, well, I, I, you know, it's, eh. and we have that attitude. No, get the attitude away, have the proper approach of dealing with it. Proper approach to sin in my life is deal with it. Proverbs 18, Proverbs 28, 13, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17, for thou, God, desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it thee. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. This is David saying, you know what God wants? God wants you to say the same thing about sin that he says about sin. Purge it out. What's the second step to approach a sin, my, my approach to sin? Look within. Look within, yeah, go down with me if you would to uh, verse number 10. Verse 10 down through verse number 12. Paul says um, in verse number 10, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world. Well, verse number nine, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet all not altogether with fornicators of this world or the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. Stop right there. Here's what Paul is saying. We still good this morning? Everybody still with me? Okay. <clears throat> I wasn't going to wait for you to say yes. I'm just moving forward. Uh, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, I wrote before, so that would be the first letter to Cor Corinth. We don't have that. He said, I wrote to you before not to company with fornicators, but some of you, some of you are like, well, Paul, there are lost people out there that, that they need us to be around them. 
Verse number 10 is Paul saying, I'm not talking about the lost people. Otherwise, you would have to go live, look at the end of verse number 10. You would have to go outside of this world. Hey, if you want to separate yourself from sin completely, you got to go live on a different planet. And then you're still going to be around sin because you're around you. So to me, I love, I love Paul's sarcasm. Like if you ever read the letters of Paul's, the letters of Paul's, you ever read the letters of Paul, Paul is like, I love, I love him because I feel like Paul and I would really get along. And like, yep, people are just dumb, just like me. We get it, Paul. And here's what he's, like, he's saying to them. I'm not telling you to separate yourselves from sin completely. Verse number 11, if there's a brother among you, if there's someone among you that claims to be saved that still allows this, that's the person that you separate from. Verse number 12 and verse number 13, then Paul is saying this, and you can go and read it on your own time. He's saying, and who, who are they that judge without? I'm, I'm not telling you to be a judge of everybody else's life. No, 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 no. Verse 12, judge within. Because God, God, will, take, God will judge others. You judge your own heart. You don't want to know, you want, man, I'm getting so tongue-tied. Do you want to know one of the best ways to deal with sin in your life? Look in your own life. We are quick to judge everybody else. We're like the Pharisees sometimes. Oh, man, I'm so glad Pastor preached on that today. Man, I'm glad they were here because they need it. I'm sure glad my spouse was here today. Why? They need that message. You know what? Look within. Judge your own heart. God, help me not to miss the obvious. One man said it this way, compare yourself to the scripture. If you want to compare yourself to anything, compare yourself to the word of God. Compare yourself to Jesus Christ. Hey, Lord, how do I, how do I measure up compared to your word? God, what sin in my life is obvious? God, what, am I, what, am, what, what spectacles are on my face that I'm just seeing right through? It's there, but I'm not even noticing it. God, what sin is it? Can I just say this morning that while we're talking about this area of fornication and there, there might be somebody in here that there's, you're caught up in something in this arena. Hey, get it out. Look within. God's best for you is better than what you're experiencing right now. But as I stated at the beginning, it might just be someone here dealing with bitterness. Get it out. God's best for you is forgiveness. It might be someone here dealing with a lying problem. Hey, purge it out. Look within because God's best for you is, is speaking truth. It might be someone here that, that your sin is some sort of addiction, some sort of vice. Hey, purge it out. Why? Because God's best for you is sobriety and a, and a heart that's focused upon him. It might be greed. It might be guilt. It might be lust. I mean, I, I don't know what it is today. I just want to say that every single, every single person is going to battle sin until we are face to face with the Savior. So what should I do to deal with my sin? Look within. God, show me me. Psalm 139, search me, O God, and try me. Know my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. Uh, David just wrote, God, you already know all of these things about me, but God, show me what you know about me. And then God, I will confess it. I will get it right because I want a restored fellowship with you. Listen, this morning, there's a proper way to deal with our sin. Look within, purge it, purge it out. But then the best way, don't miss it this morning and we're done. The best way to deal with sin in your life, the best way to not have sin in your life 
Just remember Jesus. You see what Paul does in verse number verse number four. He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the end with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number uh, five, in the day of the Lord Jesus. Verse number uh, seven, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. In all of these things, you know, Paul, he's just pointing back to Jesus. I, 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 man, verse number seven, when he says, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Um, they would have connected, knowing Hebrew heritage and history, they would have connected that when Jesus was our sacrifice, when he died on the cross, it associated the Hebrews with the Passover. The Passover in Exodus, when the angel of death passed over, he passed over anybody, any home that had blood on the doorpost and on the headpost of, of their door, the, that, that uh, death angel passed over and, and, and meaning that he was not going to punish them. There wasn't gonna be punishment upon them because of the sacrifice of the lamb. The same thought then correlates to Jesus Christ, that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he became our Passover. What does that mean? That means God's judgment passes over you and I. And if, if you have... Oh, don't miss it. If you have trusted Christ as your savior, then uh, your, your sin, past, present, and future, it is forgiven. It is complete. It is under the blood of Jesus Christ because of him dying upon the cross. And here's what Paul is saying. Hey, why continue in sin when he died for sin? He is your Passover. He is the one that made you righteous before God. And so why, why would a person want to live in that which Jesus died for? Hey, purge out there for the old leaven, that you can be a, a new leaven that's a new lump. Hey, or excuse me, a new lump that is unleavened. Why? Because of Jesus. And for a Christian, one of the best ways, hey, for a Christian, one of the best ways to help us not say yes to sin and so easily uh, go right over to it is to be able to say, God, I just remember you. I remember what you did for me. I remember the sacrifice that you made. And if a person is constantly thinking about Jesus, they're going to be less likely to sin. Why? Because my mind is on him. You want to know why some believers, it's so easy just to step into sin and to fall back into the old life? It's because they never give Jesus time of day in their life. Oh, I... I oh. One of the most frustrating things to me is when people come to me and they're like, Pastor, I need some counsel. And I'm like, good to see you. Haven't seen you in about seven months. Well, Pastor, I've been trying to put God first. Oh, really? Have you been, you been in the Word? No. Been in church? No. You been praying? No. But I sure have been trying to put Jesus first. I just, Pastor, I just don't have time. You'll make time for what's important. Here's the sad thing. We often wait till we hit rock bottom to turn back to him. Can I encourage you today? Don't wait till you hit rock bottom. And I'm included in this. And there's times in my life I'm like, I've got it, I've got it, I can do it. But Jim, I got it, I can keep going. I got it, I got it, I got it. Then I fall flat on my face and the Lord's like, are you done yet? I'm like, sorry. God, I'm sorry. Do you know why? I lose focus. 
you lose focus. Focus on what? Man, focus on Jesus. This week's going to be a rough week. How do you know that? Oh, because of this thing called life. You have good weeks and you have rough weeks. And probably at the end of every week, you go, man, that was a rough week. Unless you're on vacation. Then you go, man, that was an expensive week. You know what? We get to the end, and I'm, I'm in, in, uh, reading the book of Genesis, and uh, Jacob died. And you know what Jacob said to Pharaoh when he died? He's, Pharaoh's like, how old are you? And he's like, the days of my pilgrimage, or uh, I think it was 160 or something like that, 140. And, and he said, and, and the days of my pilgrimage are just filled with sorrow, <laughs> sorrow of heart. This is Jacob. Like, his name was t- changed to Israel. 12 sons, 12 tribes, that guy? He said, life's just filled with sorrow. You know what helps life not be filled with sorrow for me and you? Just keep looking to Jesus. Hey, keep focusing on him. There's an old missionary. His name was David Brainerd. He was a missionary to American Indians, American Indians. He, he died right, right before, I believe, his 30th birthday but two quotes that he said about his people. He said, I never got away from Jesus and him crucified. And I found that when my people were gripped by this great evangelical uh, doctrine of Christ and him crucified, I had no need to give them instructions about morality. I found that one followed as the sure and inevitable fruit of the other. He later said this, I found my Indians begin to put on the garments of holiness and, and their, common lives begin, uh, their common life begins to be sanctified even in small matters when they are possessed by the doctrine of Christ and him crucified. Well, what is he saying? He's saying what Paul said. I am determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. The believers here in Corinth, they were not seeing what was right in front of them. They were excusing their sin. And may we receive the challenge this morning. If there's sin in our life, get it out. Look within. God, search me. God, show me if there's anything in my life that needs to be out. Then get it out. But most of all today, maybe you need to just get your focus back on Jesus. Realize that his best is waiting for you. He has greater things in store, and he knows the end of that sin. It is not health. So this morning, can I challenge you, look within and ask him to show you what he knows about you. Confess sin to him. Get restored fellowship once again. And some might think this. You might think, well, I'm in too deep. Can I give you this thought today and this quote that you are never too deep where the love, grace, and restoration of God cannot reach you? He is a God of love. He is a God of grace. He is a God of mercy. He is a God calling you back to him. And he's saying, hey, I can help you. Hey, I can walk with you. He's saying, I've got this. Turn to me. Thank you for listening to this message. It's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.